Support for NPR and the following message come from Carvana, on a mission to make car buying more convenient and affordable than ever before. In minutes, you can browse thousands of options under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today to get started. Today on State of the World, War Fatigue in Russia. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. It's Thursday, November 30th. I'm Greg Dixon. In a few minutes, using human hair to clean an oily lake in Venezuela. But first, in Russia, a repressive country that has criminalized criticism of the war in Ukraine, comes a surprising development, public signs of war fatigue. A manifesto calling for demobilization is making the rounds, and it claims to come from families of Russian troops. NPR's Charles Maines is in Moscow, and he talked with Mary Louise Kelly about what this means. Okay, this new manifesto, what is it? Who's behind it? Well, this manifesto comes from a channel on the popular social media platform Telegram. Uh, It's called Put Damoy, or The Way Home. And essentially, it's a rallying cry against, quote, permanent mobilization. In other words, it claims to represent families of civilians conscripted to fight in Ukraine. And their message, at times vulgar or certainly angry, amounts to we're tired and fed up. It's time to bring our guys home. Yeah. Do we know how widespread those feelings are? How many people are behind this manifesto? You know, we don't, but I think it's important to stress that whoever is behind the channel itself, it certainly has supporters and they're real people. This is a video that was posted on the channel earlier this month. And it shows a small group of women in Moscow at the ruling United Russia Party office where they confronted a well-known nationalist lawmaker named Vitaly Milonov. Uh, In it, they demand to know when their family members will come home, and they clearly weren't all that happy with Milonov's answer. Uh, They'll come home when we win. Okay, and just to be crystal clear, the people posting on this channel, their family members are claimed to be, and there are a lot of them because it was, what, like 300,000 Russian civilians who were conscripted by Vladimir Putin back in September of 2022? That's right. And uh, Putin's decision at the time was extremely unpopular. Uh, You'll remember tens of thousands of young Russian men fled the country. The mobilization effort seemed poorly organized. The families of those called up often had to buy conscripts food and protective gear. Uh, Eventually, President Vladimir Putin even acknowledged the problems. Now, many of those issues have since been resolved, but these families of the conscripted are now reminding Putin about his initial promise, the one he made when he launched the full-scale invasion of Ukraine almost two years ago. At the time, he said only professional soldiers would do the fighting, and that's clearly not the case. Charles, just step back, setting aside this group, this channel, this manifesto. Where is public opinion overall in Russia on the war? Do we know? Well, the government argues uh, that society has consolidated around the war effort. That's the message presented by President Putin. It's by state media and backed by state polling. But others argue the picture is more complicated. Uh, I spoke with Alexei Minailo, an opposition politician still based in Russia, who says government claims of mass support are mostly propaganda. Propaganda will keep blowing that uh, we are winning and la 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 la. But over the time, less and less people will speak up for the war. Now, Minailov heads an independent polling project on the war called Chronicles, and he argues fear and repression dictate the public's response to state polls when they ask questions like, do you support the war? Because he says Russians know all too well that opposition to the war means potentially years in jail. Okay, so he's critical of state polling, but he claims to have independent polling. What's he finding? 
Well, his team finds that if you ask more nuanced questions, like would you support President Putin's decision to withdraw troops, whether or not we achieved our goals, uh, those former hardcore supporters for the war winnow fast, uh, just 12%. But that's not exactly an anti-war movement. In fact, hardly. What Manila sees is war fatigue. It's not that people consciously object to aggressive invasion. Unfortunately not. It's because they're tired of it, mostly. They want this to end. And so fatigue and apathy seem to be driving public opinion, and they they cut in different ways, you know. So Russians may want to steer clear of politics when it comes to the war, but it also means they may be less willing to sacrifice themselves for it. Uh, It's NPR's Charles Maines in Moscow. Thank you. Thank you. In Venezuela, the economy is beginning to stabilize following their worst economic meltdown in history. And the country is trying to revive its beleaguered oil industry. But ramping up oil production in Venezuela is causing more oil spills. John Otis went there and has this story about what living with the spills means for Venezuelans. Here on the shores of Lake Maracaibo in northwest Venezuela, workers use rakes and shovels to pull blobs of congealed oil out of the water. The oil sticks to everything fishing nets, boats, outboard motors, and animals. That's the sound of a little calf that's just covered in black petroleum. It's trying to lick the oil off its body. The oil slicks are the result of constant leaks from underwater oil wells and a spaghetti of aging pipelines that run along the lake bottom. The black, sticky goo has driven away beachgoers and decimated the fishing industry. Josedi Gotera, who manages a fishing cooperative here, used to send out 25 boats per day to catch fish, shrimp, and crab on Lake Maracaibo, a brackish tidal bay connected to the Caribbean Sea. Now, catches are so small that she sends out just two daily fishing boats. Some days, she says, the fish come back all covered in oil. Lake Maracaibo used to be ground zero for Venezuela's oil industry. The country's first major oil well was drilled here in 1914, and hundreds more followed. But over the past decade, mismanagement and corruption within the state oil company, known as PDVSA, caused oil production to plummet. As Venezuela's economy collapsed, PDVSA cut back on maintenance and supervision. The facilities that are in the hands of PDVSA are in terrible, terrible shape. That's Francisco Monaldi, who runs the Latin America Energy Program at Rice University in Houston. I talked to service contractors that told me that things that were supposed to be done, say, every two years, had not been done for eight years. Although still weak, Venezuela's economy has stabilized and oil production is now bouncing back. The country has a huge incentive to increase output because in October, Washington lifted oil sanctions against the country. That will allow Venezuela to resume exporting to the U.S. rather than selling its oil on the black market at steep discounts. But as the petroleum industry retools, experts say Venezuela's devastated oil facilities can't handle the larger volumes of petroleum, especially on Lake Maracaibo. Every single day we have an oil spill, not only one, but three, four, five. That's Jesus Urbina, who works for the anti-corruption group Transparency International. He says decaying derricks and other machinery are actually tipping over into the water. 
the pumping stations, they are sinking. They're sinking into Lake Maracaibo. It's, a, it's a immense wreck of oil installations. Pero el lago de Maracaibo tiene que ser recuperado. Tenemos que recuperarlo. Así me lo planteo. During a recent tour of the lake, Nicolás Maduro, Venezuela's autocratic president, pledged to fix these problems. So far, there's been little sign of government action. But volunteers are trying to pick up the slack. They're collecting hair from newly shorn clients at barber shops. The hair, which is highly absorbent, is then turned into biodegradable floating barriers to soak up oil spills on the lake. It's a small step, but Selene Estrach, leader of the project, says she's trying to get average citizens involved in the cleanup. For now, most people try to avoid its tainted waters. In the lakeside community of Santa Rosa, lots of youngsters are playing soccer, but hardly anyone is swimming. The degradation of the lake prompted Dani Ortega, a Santa Rosa artist, to compose a song which ends on a grim note. No más contaminación. No more contamination, he beseeches. They are killing off the lake. For NPR News, I'm John Otis on Lake Maracaibo, Venezuela. That's the State of the World from NPR. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.